0: Uh, thank you so much Tala and hello everyone, uh, let me echo uh, the welcome from Lachlan before, it's just uh, wonderful to have you with us and can I just say for everyone on Zoom, it is almost unspeakably joyful uh, to see some of your faces, uh, some of you, you know, I haven't seen in quite a few weeks now and it is just splendid to see your faces there or to see your names there if your your video camera's turned off. I know there'll be others who are watching via Facebook or from our website, uh, but especially for our regular members, really want to encourage you that if you're not on Zoom this week, maybe next week, uh, give that a go because it really is uh, excellent. And it's one of those things we're trying to do uh, in this current situation as we uh, try to work out how to do church in a way that still serves and loves one another. So um, thank you everyone for giving this a go this morning and um, it really is just so lovely to see some of you on the screen there. I'm going to begin with a quote. Um, it should be coming up on the screen. Um, it has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. Uh, I will not oppose the idea but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's people is god the highest science the loftiest speculation the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of god is the name the nature the person the work the doings and the existence of the great god whom he calls his father Uh, i know the language is a a little bit out of date now uh, but it still packs a punch doesn't it the Beginning of this sermon on the person and character of God by a 20 year old Charles Spurgeon in the mid 1850s. I dare say every preacher who has heard these words since has kind of earnestly wished for a gift of matching eloquence, and uh, perhaps many church members have wished the same thing for the sake of their preacher. But the reason I raise it with you this morning is not uh, really to discuss different gifts of preaching but rather because of the fundamental question it raises that we've already been thinking about today about how it is that God can be known, how it is that God can be studied, how it is that God's name and nature and person and work and doings and existence can be the basis of sure and certain and ever-deepening knowledge in the hearts and minds of people like you and I. And it's to this subject that we turn this morning because verse 18, that final verse that Kylie read for us before, no one has ever seen God But the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with God has made him known. And so in that one sentence we find both our impossible challenge in knowing God and God's wonderful solution. Our impossible challenge. No one has ever seen God god's wonderful solution the one and only son who is himself god and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known so friends are you skeptical about the existence of god or if he does exist whether he can be actually known by us well come join us this term on sundays And test your skepticism by the words and works of Jesus. Are you searching after God but not quite sure where to find him? Well, come join us this term on Sundays and meet the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Are you a believer in God but you find yourself questioning whether he really is good? Join us in John's Gospel and see the one who feeds us so richly that we will never be hungry again. Are you already a follower of Christ, but you're struggling to hold on to him joyfully, especially perhaps right at the moment? Well, stay with us this term and be reminded of just what it means to have a good shepherd who protects and provides for the sheep. Are you a follower of Christ and already mature in many ways? Or dive deep into John's gospel this term and learn again from the one who reveals God to us with a depth inexhaustible. Our passage today is these first 18 verses which are not simply an introduction to John but really in some ways a summary of the entire book so that whatever is found here in these verses is then kind of developed and expanded uh, in the account that follows and and whatever is told to us there is distilled for us in brief right here. But in its form it is an uncommon passage just this constant stream of, of new ideas, new propositions if you like. And almost every one of them is profound in its own right. As I've worked on the passage this week, it's, it's kind of put me in mind of the extension charm that gets used in the Harry Potter books, where from the outside an object looks the regular size, but its internal dimensions have been greatly expanded so that it carries much more than you expect, a bit like Hermione's bag when they're off looking for Horcruxes. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. But that's this passage in John's Gospel, just 18 verses but almost every one of them is a doorway into a whole new room of just sublime gospel thought. Now there will be things we skip over this morning, uh, but I hope that we will all come back to this passage again and again in the weeks uh, that follow so that we would come to see more and more the unmatched significance of the person that John introduces us to. But in the short time that we've got together today, I've got three main headings to help us kind of find our way through. First of all, the eternal word, verses 1 to 5. Then, uh, a man called John, verses 6 to 8. And then finally, gospel wonder, tragedy and triumph in verses 9 to 18. So first of all, the eternal word, it starts off in verse 1. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's almost impossible to hear these words, in the beginning, uh, without thinking of the one other place in the Bible where they are said with the same kind of weight of significance, which is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And of course, this is John's point. Uh, mark's gospel begins with the preaching ministry of john the baptist luke takes us back to the birth of jesus matthew takes us all the way back to old testament abraham and these are all valid ways of starting a telling of the gospel but john wants us to understand that from another point of view the gospel goes back even further still to the absolute beginning the beginning of all things beginning even before the creation of the world, the same beginning as Genesis 1, verse 1. Uh, Next, he tells us about the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Uh, Lots of people have speculated about John's use of this term and what kind of philosophical background might lie behind it. I suspect, however, that he's got his own reasons for using this term. And uh, they'll become clearer to us as the passage goes on. But even just in these first two verses, it's clear that for John, the Word is a personal being, not just some abstract category. The Word is a he, not an it. Uh, He is both fully divine in his own right. The Word was God. And yet, he is also distinguishable from God. The word was with God. As we read on into the gospel, therefore, as we listen to the words of Jesus and we see the works of Jesus, we need constantly to remember that according to John, we are observing the words and works of one who has existed from all eternity and who is fully God in every way. He is distinguishable from God and yet he is in the closest possible relationship with God. Anything less than that as an understanding of Jesus. And we will misrepresent what John has told us in these opening verses. That's what we need to get our heads around. This is who Jesus is. And the next thing he tells us though is about the word and creation. So verse 3, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. In other words, this word that John has introduced us to, this one who has existed forever, who is both fully God and yet distinguishable from God, he was not only with God before creation, he was also God's agent in creation he's the one through whom all things were made without exceptions therefore he's also the source of life for all mankind not just spiritual life though that is certainly true and we'll come to it later in the prologue but even just our earthly physical lives are completely dependent on the life that exists in the one that john calls the word It is no exaggeration then for christians to insist that jesus is the most significant person in all history and absolutely vital both for our lives today and on into eternity both are true and neither one is possible without him and so john has introduced us to the word and he's told us about a man, uh, sorry, who has existed forever, who is fully God. All things were made through him and he's the source of life for all people. From verse 6 then, he kind of zooms forward in time to the events of which he himself is an eyewitness. And he, he begins with the ministry of a man called John, uh, which is not himself, but John the Baptist. Now, in the plans and purposes of God, John the Baptist had an incredibly important ministry, He was, verse 6, a man sent from God, which means he had God's own endorsement for all the things that he said and did. He came, verse 7, as a witness to testify concerning that light. Verse 8, he himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. Now, of course, to be a witness to Jesus, and we'll see this very clearly next week, uh, that was not something that John alone was called to do and to be to be a witness to jesus is something for everyone who has believed in jesus john's gospel can hardly imagine someone who has believed in jesus without then becoming someone who talks about jesus to others for those of us who are already christians this ought to be a great focus for our praying this term That God might help us to testify to others about Christ. That they too might come to share in eternal life. And surely our current circumstances give us more reason than ever to speak with people about the life that is really life, which is in relationship with God. So notice then that John's ministry had a very specific goal. He came testifying at the end of verse 7 so that through him that is john the baptist so that through him all might believe Uh, the word all is important in john's gospel it's used uh, almost 60 times it tells us of the wide wide reach of god's good gospel concerns for even if it can be said in verse 11 that jesus came to his own meaning the jews So it can also be said in verse 10 that he was in the world. John 3.16 tells us how God in this way loved the world. God's loving concern, his good gospel plans are for everyone, for all people, without distinction. So John testified about Jesus so that through him all might believe. But believe is an even more important word in John's Gospel than all. Uh, It's used over 80 times and it, it captures that response which God is looking for from us of a wholehearted trusting dependence on Jesus as the one who alone makes God known and who alone deals with our sin and who alone opens up the way to eternal life. And again, John 3.16 tells us how God in this way loved the world. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. And so again, John testified about Jesus so that through him all might believe. And do we not pray the very same thing? Whenever we are able to speak with people about Jesus, we pray that God would help them come to believe, to have faith. So now John, he's set everything up so carefully, he's introduced us to the Word and he's told us about John the Baptist and now at last he brings us to the very heart of the matter. Gospel, wonder, tragedy and triumph. Uh, the gospel wonder is described first in verse 9 and then again in verse 14. verse 9 the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world verse 14 the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us Uh, for many people in the ancient world it was almost unthinkable that the gods could have anything directly to do with the world of humans In fact, one of the earliest Christian heresies, docetism, uh, played exactly this hand, uh, trying to protect the divinity of Jesus by claiming that his physical form was not really genuine. It was was just an illusion. It it only appeared to be real. He he only seemed to be human. Uh, Like this watermelon lolly that I, I found in a chemist a few weeks ago that boasted of real like seeds. I'm not really sure you can use language like this. Something is either real or it's fake, but I'm not sure that it can be real-like. I think that just means that it's fake because it's not real. But when the Word became flesh and, and made his dwelling among us, there was nothing fake about it. His flesh was as genuine as yours and mine. And it's the most wondrous truth of this passage that the Word who has existed forever... Who was with God in the beginning. Who was himself fully God. Through whom all things were made and who is the source of life for all mankind. This one has lowered himself. To take on and share our fleshly existence. To dwell among us for a time and to become one of us. This is who Jesus Christ the man of history, is. This is who Jesus Christ, the focus of John's gospel, is. Do you believe it? Have you accepted it? Have you received him? Because many don't. And this is the great gospel tragedy that John tells us about in verses 10 to 11. Verse 10, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It's really a double tragedy that John tells us about here. On one hand, it's a tragedy for the world. On the other, it's a tragedy for Jesus' own people, the Jews. By rights, both groups should have welcomed him with open arms. They should have rolled out a red carpet of welcome. The world, for its part, because it was made through him. The Jews, for their part, because they were his people. But you see such is the natural darkness of every human heart that even when the very source of life comes and shines in our midst still many people prefer the dark. And this isn't just something we see happen in John's Gospel it's what we still see happening all around us today and especially perhaps in a part of the world like ours. And there are so many people who have heard about Jesus and they have access to the Bible record of his words and his works. And yet still they will not recognise him and still they will not receive him. And friends, if that's you, I implore you to consider Christ once more. Perhaps you've heard about him in your younger years, but you've never really taken the opportunity to examine him again now with adult eyes and with mature thinking. Uh, Would you be open to meeting with someone and reading through John's Gospel? I mean, even in lockdown, there are ways we can do this kind of thing. In fact, I know of two people at church just this week who have invited another person to start reading through John's Gospel with them online that they might be able to consider Jesus. So maybe this lockdown is the opportunity that you've needed to consider Jesus again. Because the next thing John wants us to know about is the great gospel triumph of God's saving grace. Because yes, there are many who reject Jesus, but verse 12, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Arguably, these first 18 verses have received more attention from kind of the world of professional Bible scholars than any other passage in John's Gospel. Uh, One of the biggest debates is about the structure of this passage, how it kind of all holds together and how the ideas move from one to another. Uh, A common suggestion is that this passage is a chiasm. All that means is that the ideas in the first half of the passage are are then kind of mirrored in reverse through the second half of the passage and the whole thing is built around a, a central section which is really the focal point of the passage. And on most of those models, it's these two verses that sit right at the heart of the passage in the middle, so that our attention is focused on this extraordinary thing that happens for those who do what so many don't, which is to receive Jesus as the Son of God and to believe in his name. To such people, John says, is given an entirely new status before God Not something they had at the beginning, but something they become. Namely, children of God. And this will all become much clearer when we meet a Jewish teacher named Nicodemus in chapter 3. But when John talks about being made children of God, he's not thinking about children born in the natural way, in the flesh. He's thinking about children born in the spiritual way, by faith. This new standing before God is all of God and all of grace. It comes by faith. It's given, not earned. And like all births, it's something that must happen to us, not something that we can do by ourselves. But it is available to everyone without distinction. It is available to all, Jews and non-Jews male and female, children, teenagers, adults, tradies and professionals, rich and poor alike, when it comes to believing in Jesus, none of these things carries any significance. Really, the only qualifications we need are a willingness to admit that we need a saviour and a readiness to welcome the one that God has provided. And this is the one That John is telling us about in his gospel because verse 14 once again the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth see John's gospel is not just a cleverly invented myth like all of the Gospels he gives us eyewitness testimony What he tells us is what he saw. The one who he tells us about is the one who he saw. But the one who he saw is the one who has seen God. And so we come back to where we started in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known now, so friends, how can we know that God exists? And if he does exist, how can we possibly come to know his name, his nature, his person, his work, his doings, his faithfulness, his forgiveness, his gift of eternal life, his undeservedly kind, good disposition towards us? How can we come to know these things? Only ever by knowing the one who has made God known the always existing, fully God, creative, life-giving word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. And friends, this is why John has written the things that he has, because he wants us to know and to believe about Jesus that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing this, we would have eternal life. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for John's Gospel and we are so thankful even more for the Lord Jesus, the eternal word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us and has made you known. And so, Father, help us to know him so that we would know you. Give us all sorts of spiritual insight and understanding this term as we read through John's Gospel together, that we might have eternal life and be confident in this. Amen. Uh, Our friends, uh, we are about to sing and at home you will be able to sing and the words will appear on the screen. Uh, John and Amanda are going to kindly lead us and uh, it's in Christ alone which has at the very start of the second verse uh, that the fullness of God dwelt in human form in a babe so uh, they're going to lead us in song the rest of us uh, apart from the tech crew are going to leave the room because that's our current situation with restrictions Uh, but I hope this song uh, builds you up and encourages you as you focus on Christ.